Thank you so much, um, Mrs. Ijema. Here is Christian Elonge. I'm the managing director of Kabod Group, which hosts Kabod Language Services. Kabod Language Service is a language service provider, which basically specializes in providing quality language services for in African languages and also other Western languages. But our main focus is to ensure that the African culture is elevated through our languages. And looking at your role and your contribution in the promotion of African languages through tech, we are very glad to welcome you in this uh, podcast as an interview to understand more about your work, understand more about what you do, and um, help others also to discover you through our platform. So thank you so much for making time for this. So please, uh, Mrs. Ijema, can you kindly introduce yourself, please? Yeah, um, I'm Ijema Ozlika, the founder and CEO of Nkwauku. Okay, thank you. So we are really glad to have you today. We would really appreciate if uh, you could let us know more about the background of Kowaoku. How did you come about, you know, with this project of creating an Igbo language dictionary and tech application? So I, I grew up in California. My parents are immigrants, immigrants from Nigeria, specifically their Igbo. And like coming to America, they um, wanted me and my older sisters to assimilate to like American culture as much as possible. So they didn't teach us the Igbo language. And at the time as a kid, you didn't think much of it. Um, Cause you know, you just wanted to be like every other kid. But I think like in the back of my head, it always kind of rang odd that like my parents could speak the language um, so well. And then my sisters and I had no idea that they were speaking this like, what felt like an alien foreign language. Um, so grew up not speaking the language and I went to college to study computer science and Japanese language and literature. And that's where I learned about how not as difficult as it should be to learn a language, learning Japanese, which is very, very different from English. And then after studying Japanese in college and with my computer science degree, after graduating, I was thinking like, how could I make something that makes it easier to learn language now that I've gone through this experience of learning another language? So I was thinking about different ideas. Then I moved to New York uh, City to work as a software engineer. And then that was like 2019. And a couple months being in the city, COVID eventually hit. Um, so I went back to California to quarantine with family. And during that year's time, it's when I realized I had extra time on my hands and I was technically a professional software engineer. So I was trying to think of projects to keep me busy. And I ultimately wanted to finally sit down and learn the Igbo language. So I was looking all around online for like resources. And I remember trying to learn like in middle school, high school and always giving up because the quality of the materials were so low. But I thought maybe it would be better this time as a, as like, you know, someone post-college years have passed, but it wasn't significantly better. So I decided to try to make um, an API, which is an application programming interface. Basically it's a piece of software that makes it easy for any data that you request, it gets returned back to you. So I made a dictionary API where I wanted to make it possible for people to be able to request Igbo words and then get the word data back. Um, and then that started back in 2020. And then we built Kwa'oku about eight months later, which turned into the organization that we have today. But Kwa'oku is a application built on top of the Igbo API, which just makes it super easy for anyone who knows how to use a phone or laptop to search for words um, or Igbo words with 
Igbo search terms or English search, search terms. And then now we've blossomed into doing a lot of different types of projects since 2021, um, but all centered and focused around the Igbo language. Okay, thank you so much. So um, at almost three to four years following the creation of uh, the app, you know, how has been the reception from linguists, from, you know, from the Africans diaspora, from the Nigerian diaspora? How are people responding to the app? Is it, you know, gradually being used more and more? What has been the response so far? I think it's been, it's gradually being used more and more. I think one thing that we find very interesting is um, there's a bit of a uh, separation of reality and expectation. This area is like the linguistic research done within many African languages, but specifically talking about the Igbo language is that you have many linguists who believe in our work and who support our work and find value and even find it to be supportive in their own research. Um, but because the language is according to UNESCO, labeled as like an endangered slash threatened language. A lot of people in the general public believe like, oh, this is, you know, very concerning. Um, which, what can we do to kind of, you know, push back on this labeling of the language of it being dead in like a next century or something like that. Um, but then we find that I think like within the society that we live in today, the research that backs the Igbo language, linguistic research, is unfortunately underfunded. And because the language isn't technically like dead, like on the brink of death, like there's only a couple thousand speakers left, it's very difficult to find kind of outside support, monetary outside support, in order to like really address this problem that right now it's projected that half of the 7,000 active languages that we know of could die within our lifetime. And a lot of these languages are languages that have millions of speakers, even. The death of the rate, the death rate of languages is extraordinarily high and concerning. So there's kind of like a rift. A lot of people receive our work very positively, on average, super positively. And we want to be able to do more, reach more linguists to support more linguistic research in tandem to supporting, you know, the general population of making a general purpose dictionary. But we find that there's kind of like this rift where like the general public, or at least like the Igbo people, understand that their language is currently threatened. Um, but then finding research, like monetary opportunities, is very difficult to support the existing research that's been going on uh, for this language. So um, overall, very positive support. But I think what we really want to make sure that we land is like getting support, monetary support, rather than like mentorship or guidance. We just want that money to be able to expand the research that's been doing, that's been done by so many professionals. Okay, thank you so much. So funding is required to help the project uh, scale up. So what are so far the various channels of funding of final where and how have you been able of mobilizing financial resources to kickstart the projects to this level? And how do you envisage, you know, continuing to leverage more for the next stage of your organization? A lot of the funding that we've gotten, at least for this past year, has been through grants. And I think grants will always be a part of our funding strategy because of our commitment to, you know, bettering the quality of education and learning, especially or specifically in the digital space. I think the classic approach that's been taken for decades upon hundreds of years is, you know, organizations focusing on education in a very analog environment, which makes 
an abundance amount of sense because before there were computers and phones and TVs, you know, people were just like, you know, writing notebooks and using blackboards. Um, but with the introduction of technology, I think there's still kind of like this um, slower transitional period where I think in the classic sense, a lot of granting opportunities focus on like the analog, um, which is 100% still super important, especially in regions that don't have access to um, many technological um, technological devices, especially like high powered ones. Um, but then I think this transitional phase kind of uncovers or is like hiding this um, slightly larger futuristic concern where we're not focusing on where the direction of education is going as much as we are focusing on where education is currently today. And that's specifically building technology to assist in language learning or just learning in general. So you see like with the advent of like advanced like ChatGPT, for example, having like assistive technology is something that will make it incredibly easy for um, able-bodied and disabled-bodied people to learn consistently. And it also even supports like the more advanced um, pathways of like research to help parse through and understand large, large complex amounts of data. So the biggest thing is like focusing on grants but a lot of grants sometimes they they focus on like the traditional like you know building the schools or building the textbooks which is great um but we really want to focus on the technological side and how do we make that technology as accessible as possible okay thank you so much for sharing but aside funding if you have you know policymakers or investors in front of you you know what else will uh, the organization needs currently to move to the next level and to scale up yeah I think money, <laughs> I think money is like the most important thing. There's nothing that we've identified that let's say money is not an option. We get zero dollars in grants. That's not possible for us to do anything else realistically um, at scale, at least. Okay, thank you so much. So we would also like to know what are the future uh, plans that you have? What are some of the projects? that you are working on and what are the plans that you have for the future as an organization? So we wanna build um, assistive technology um, and make it open source. So right now we're playing around with this idea of massive data collection for the Igbo language. And data collection takes on many different forms. But in the classic sense, when we say data collection, at least as like a level one, we talk about wanting to collect as many Igbo sentences and have those translated into English. So then like use that data for, you know, machine translation, like think of Google Translate, for example, or like text-to-speech um, software where you type in text and it generates out the audio that you typed in. Um, not to say that those are specifically the projects that we're actually working on because we're working on more so on like the data collection facilitation um, and getting the community involved. I think like the Igbo population I like has been put into this position where we have more and more technical um, technical devices available to us. Um, but getting like a portion of the population really excited and invested in like the state of collection process and convincing them the reason why behind that, I think that's something that we're trying to uncover as an organization that has a really strong engineering and design team. But in terms of marketing and storytelling and convincing people the reason behind this, that's something that we kind of struggle with. So 
it would be that the main project that we are focusing on is our data collection competition, the Evil Voiceathon. We're playing around with this idea of having a competition, collect 500 hours of annotated Ebo audio data, which just means, you know, five, 500 hours of Ebo audio, and then all of it is transcribed. So there's like text, um, subtitles associated with it. So that's the main focus, really playing around with this idea of proper data collection that's um, efficient. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Now, I think as one of the few who are working, you know, in the language tech industry, developing, you know, technological platform to facilitate the use of African languages. How do you see the impact or, you know, uh, the impact of artificial intelligence, you know, on the development of African languages? The impacts, uh, any specific type of impacts? Like, how do you see it contributing, you know, to advance the promotion, accessibility and use of African languages, how is it useful in your work or in what, what are the possibilities that AI can do when it comes to, you know, African languages? Yeah. I think the biggest benefit that we're playing around with is like the standardization of the Igbo language. The problem that we've noticed with the Igbo language is that not, the problem isn't that they, there are so many dialects in the language, there's like 50 plus dialects. I think the problem has been that there has never been a definitive and well-supported standard way of writing the language. There is standard evil that exists in the country and is taught in schools, but there are a lot of limitations and flaws and shortcomings that haven't really been updated by like some national body of linguists and researchers, educators and teachers and everyone alike to then say like every single year, there's like this standardized update to the, how to teach this language or the standard version of this language, which leads to a lot of people um, not really adhering to reading or even writing with standard Igbo, which makes a lot of sense. It makes so much more sense to speak in your dialect. But if we turn to that alternative of letting people speak in their own dialect and there's no standard catalog, cat catalog cataloging process for dialectical variations, you still run into the situation where despite everyone, every Igbo person, let's say, speaks Igbo, we still find ourselves in situations where one dialect is so far removed from another dialect, despite them still being considered Igbo, that those two groups can't communicate. And the, the great thing about the standard Igbo approach was that it was supposed to bridge that gap. But because that, that bridge is kind of broken, you probably have to hop over some gaps here and there. Um, it's not like the best viable solution. So AI could really help fill those gaps where it would make it possible to find a standardized or create a piece of software that understands the rules of standardized Igbo. And then whenever someone is speaking or whenever someone's typing, it's able to catch grammatical errors or spelling errors that could just help encourage while someone is using standard Igbo to use it correctly and consistently. And computers are very, you know, straight to the point whatever instructions it's given, it will execute, there's no room for error. So once like a deciding body of linguists and researchers say like, this is a new rule that we want to apply to the Igbo language or standard Igbo, it would just be very easy for the model to adhere to that rule. And then a continuous assisting individual people who as they're learning will make mistakes by having something that is definitive in the rules that it's provided can help guide that, that process. 
on top of that, there's a lot of opportunities of producing content in like native writing scripts. I'm a big believer that the reason why learning Igbo is so difficult or even reading it is so difficult is because it's taught in Latin scripts. And there's lots of research that shows that iconography or logographic um, writing scripts are easier sometimes in many cases, in different cases, for people to remember or even to like work with and add on top of. Um, so you see like a lot of like East Asian countries using logographic scripts. Africa has tons of logographic scripts, um, but they're just not put inside Unicode, which is basically the software that allows our digital phones, like our phones and computers to type with it. So having AI could help streamline that process of producing content in Incivity, which is the native writing script based in West, uh, West Nigeria or Southeast Nigeria. Um, and then make it possible for us to officially add Incivity to Unicode um, through that process. So there's a lot of positive impacts um, helping with like standardized Igbo, adding Incivity to Unicode, even supporting linguistic research as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, there is a growing body of tech uh, and software developers and many others who are using technology to solve, you know, uh, African language uh, lack of visibility. Are you part of those community? And if yes, which of those community are you part of that you recommend others to join? Um, the only community that I'm a part of is Masakani, which is a African machine learning um, group. They're based on Slack. And that is a group that's filled with like, you know, grad students and researchers, the very research heavy portion um, of like this work, where if you're, you know, if you're a grad student, PhD student, in computational linguistics or anything really, but you're still interested in doing the more research side of um, language and technology, that organization is perfect. In terms of software engineers, I find that it's um, hard to find a lot that are doing exactly what we're doing, getting into the minutia of um, language organization. When I started this project back in 2020, it was a very naive approach, which is always fun to look back on, where I took the same structure as an English dictionary and I modeled that to match like the data that we had in our database back in 2020. But as I spoke to professionals and experts, researchers and linguists, I realized that it was the incorrect approach to structure the way or structure our data as if it was the same as like the English data. But Igbo is very different from English, has very different rules. It's a tonal language, has many, um, many very different dialects. So we had to structure our data differently. So getting into that minutia of like how to properly catalog and organize a language and all of its dialects um, is a very complex challenge that no engineer can do by themselves unless they had the linguistic expertise that any linguist um, for the Igbo language has. So not so many engineers that I've met doing the work that we're doing specifically in this form, but I do know, you know, there are linguists that I'm friends with and I've talked to who um you know contract engineers to be able to like organize databases um but the thing that kind of sets our work apart is that we take that open source approach so a lot of our work is public the code that we write is public and um it's just there's a huge emphasis on making it accessible whereas a lot of other linguistic projects that include software engineers um it takes like a year to build it up and then they release we want to see how can we iteratively release this data um, to make it slowly grown value in public. So yeah, Masakani is a great organization for the 
like linguistic research side of it. Um, but engineering okay. community-wise is very hard to find. Okay, okay. Thank you for sharing. Um, aside Masakane, we also have uh, other platform. One that you may be aware uh, by uh, Chris Emezwe, which is Land Africa. And we also have another platform or community which is hosted by Kabo. I, I, I believe you, you may have joined by now. Alat, the African language uh, translator and teachers. It's a, link, it's a LinkedIn platform where we facilitate exchange of opportunities and knowledge exchange and, you know, uh, exchange of, 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 of resources that concern African languages. Now, we would like to look at um, when it comes to the marketability you know, is it profitable to develop software and application on African languages? When you look at your own projects, how is the, you know, uh, the economic returns, you know, for that? Is it profitable as an industry yeah, for now? I think that question is like, I don't know, is that like a genuine question or is it more for the article? It's like is is the question is more about you know are there economic benefits is there a demand you know for app or software in African languages when when you look at the, the level of subscription the level of people buying to have access to the app you know is it enough to cover the expenses that you know the organization is doing is there a potential market that is is there basically. Because yeah, ultimately, because ultimately, an organization cannot uh, sustain, you know, with grants. So there really needs to be a response from users in terms of requesting access or buying or purchasing the app. So that's basically what the question is focusing on. Yeah, it is profitable. I think what we find is that it is. Um, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier about the whole concept of transitional states of like nonprofit grants focused on like analog education rather, rather than digital education. I think there's always like, there's a shift from the people that I've interviewed for like the language and learning the language. It's not that people don't care. It's actually people willing to, like people really do care. We have, um, we have generated revenue from a couple of the courses that we released. And that proves to us that one, our marketing team is like the key to kind of getting more people out there. But two, I think for so long, a lot of language apps have come and gone because, and like, honestly, like not to say that we're anything special or different, um, because there've been moments where I, I've really questioned like, oh, maybe this isn't the best um, thing to focus on. But I think a lot of the reasons why a lot of language apps come and go or just don't get updated is because the problem space is a lot more complex and under-researched compared to any other language learning app. Obviously, there's a huge market for this because you could see with Duolingo, you know, Babbel, um, Rosetta Stone, and everything under the sun, all these language learning apps. But the thing that really benefits these applications is they're serving an English market um, with languages that have, you know, decades of well-supported research behind them. Um, but then when you look at African languages, I think a lot of um, like the natural approach is like, okay, let's follow the model that works for these well-researched languages and applied to these low-researched languages. Um, but then what we find okay. is that the materials might not be as engaging or not as detailed as 
um, what would be required for these languages because, you know, everything that we see for like African languages do a great job at beginner level material, but then finding, you know, immersive or even engaging material that's more intermediate or advanced is hard to find. And research shows that mobile language learning apps are not meant to be the end all be all for language learning, rather supplemental. So if we do build a language learning app, which I think a lot of African languages take, what is the alternative? Um, and that part is very difficult and can be expensive too. So um, there's just a lot of challenges in this industry. Okay, okay. thank you.